Almighty God, how we do praise you that you have blessed us with your word. How we praise you that you have given us great liberty in this nation to assemble in places such as this and to hear your word proclaimed. We thank you that we assemble here and we do not fear authority in this nation, that we do not fear our own government and persecution upon us for such meetings. And so, Lord, help us not to take these things for granted. Help our hearts and our minds to be attentive to your word this morning. Forgive us of our sins, we ask again, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Several years ago I was preaching through the book of Jonah also. Before I had preached in this particular church, the minister there had preached maybe 25 sermons or more, all under the heading, The God of Noah. And there was a man who had been a leader in this church. He was an elderly man. He was very attentive in coming along and very studious. Every week he would be there before everyone else and he would open the windows and he would put out the hymn books and all of the bits and pieces and he was always the last to leave. And I found out that that man had written several devotionals in the church newsletter about Jonah. And I went to him and I was speaking with him about this and it was really like I was talking to a brick wall. And he said to me, oh yes, the, the man who's been preaching here, our minister, he's been preaching through Jonah. I said, really? He said, yes, yes, he's preached many sermons through Jonah. Now this man was there every week and he sat there and he listened, or what the preachers thought, he listened to what they were saying. But he hadn't heard a word. He actually thought that the minister was preaching on the God of Jonah, not the God of Noah. So you see, we can come in week in, week out, and the same thing can actually happen to preachers, that they can come in and they can just keep preaching, and all of these words don't mean anything to anyone. I pray that that's not the case here this morning. I pray that I'm speaking very clearly and that you're understanding exactly what it is that I'm saying and that I'm not just boring you and that you don't just feel that this is drudgery. Somebody asked me this morning, will we be getting to the end of the book of Jonah before your time is up here? And I pray, God willing, we will be. But this morning our eyes are open, first and foremost, to verse 17 of chapter 1. And my sermon title this morning is Jonah the Extraordinary Escape. Jonah the Extraordinary Escape. And three headings this morning, as with my other sermons, although I don't always do this. But the first heading will look at verses two, uh, 17 to chapter 2 and verse 2, under the heading, God gets Jonah lost. God gets Jonah lost, and then heading number 2 will be, Jonah confesses God's sovereignty. That will be verses 3 to 6. And heading number 3, Jonah is saved. Verses 6 to 10. So under the first heading, Jonah the Extraordinary Escape, we come to verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I want to pause here just quickly before we jump into this, and I want to encourage you this morning, and I know many well-meaning people have written books, published books about these things, 
but one of my relatives was one of the first to do this, a children's Bible. He was one of the first several hundred years ago to add pictures to the Bible. Now, it's interesting, God in all of his might and all of his power didn't reveal himself in a picture book. No, God revealed himself through his prophets, through his creation, and then finally through the Lord Jesus Christ, and today through his word, not through a picture book. Okay, I want to get that straight, straight off the bat. Here, this is not a whale. Many picture books that are well-meaning for children have Jonah been swallowed by a whale. Now, the problem with this image, it is not what God's word teaches. There are several images that are brought out in many picture books, depictions of God and depictions of the Lord Jesus. They are wrong and they are blasphemous. God has not revealed himself in a picture book. The commandments clearly state that we are not to make graven images of anything on the earth or in heaven. Anything that is holy, we're not to make images of. I had an elderly relative of mine tell me one day that she almost drowned and in fact she believes that she died and that when she was dying, she saw the Lord Jesus and that he rescued her and saved her from death. Now, I believe that she believes that story, and she's very well-meaning in saying that. But when I asked her, how do you know that it was Jesus? She said, I saw him. I said, but how do you know what Jesus looks like? And she said, because I've seen him. And I said, no, but how do you know it was him? She said, because in Sunday school they showed us pictures of Jesus. There is a great danger with making images of things in the Bible. So this morning, regardless of what you learn in Sunday school, let's just look at God's word as it is before us. Because it doesn't say Jonah was swallowed by a whale, although he may have been. It tells us that a great fish swallowed Jonah. So here it tells us that God had prepared this great fish. It wasn't nature, Mother Nature, as the media constantly goes on about today when they have a rant about the religion of climate change. No, it was God who prepared this great fish. God, I want you to understand this morning, is the one who got Jonah lost. I know this comes as a surprise to many people. But it's God who gets men and women and children lost. You know how I can say this very clearly? Because the Lord Jesus taught that there are sheep and there are goats, that there are no half sheep and that there are no half goats. As we all meet here today, you are either one or the other. You are not halfway in between. You are either a sheep or a goat. And the thing that is interesting about our Lord's analogy here is that it is very fitting because sheep need a shepherd. He tells us that he is the good shepherd and that his sheep follow after him. But goats, if you have ever seen a goat, goats do their own thing. They are their own boss and they will have things done their way. They actually, my experience is, that goats are actually educating you on how you should behave when you are feeding them or when you are trying to get them into a paddock somewhere. They want things done their way. 
Now it's very fitting that as a person is born in sin and shapen in iniquity, that they are goats, that they are not sheep by birth, and that by their nature they wish and they will to do things their own way. They don't believe they're lost. You know, there's a view in the church, it was everybody's lost out there and, and they need a saviour, and that may be well true from the Christian perspective, but go and ask them. They are not lost. Goats do not believe that they are lost. They are doing things their way. And so God gets men and women lost. And here, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has gotten Jonah lost. Jonah's running in the other direction, doing his own will. He's been brought onto the ship, as we saw last week, and then he's been thrown into the ocean, and now he's completely helpless, he's hopeless, and he's lost, and death upon him is imminent. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Here it is, here is Jonah's confession that God has brought him to this very place. You can imagine he wasn't in the great fish's belly writing these things down. These are after the fact. The Holy Spirit has brought these things to his remembrance. And in hindsight, he is now recording these events. He's recording how he felt, how the Lord had guided him to this very point. And he says he cried out to the Lord at this point, and the Lord heard him in his affliction. God always raises up a means of getting us lost and delivering us. If you are a true child of God here this morning, you may have many accounts of how God has done this to you, how God has brought you to a certain point and laid you low to bring to your remembrance his gracious dealings with you in the past and the way that he has delivered you time and time again. I'm very foolish and very I have a short memory, so the Lord has to do this to me constantly. All the time he has to lay me low and afflict me with something to remind me that he is in control. Sometimes it can be a case of the creation revealing these things. But isn't it interesting as we watch on in the media that as all the calamities take place in so-called Mother Nature, they don't turn to the living God. They start to say, no, 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 we must do things differently. They start to think that things are happening because of them, and in part they're correct. But they start to think, and they elevate themselves, and they start to say, we can stop this happening. This is what happens in our time, our day and age today, with the religion of climate change. We can control the wind and the waves and the elements and all of these sorts of things if we just change our patterns of behaviour. If we, as it would be, turn over a new leaf, if we don't do things the way we used to do, if we stop using fossil fuels, then things will come good for us. Not that there is a God who is in control of these things, a God whom we have offended. No, 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 no. The goats running the place just say, no, no, we'll do things our way once again. We'll do things our way and we'll make this happen. 
Why? Because we are in control. This is a view that everybody has of themselves if they are not saved by the grace of God. God will raise up a way to get men and women lost and he will raise up a means of delivering them if he wills to save them. You recall with David, the great king of Israel, how he sinned against God and against himself in the sin with Bathsheba. And you see how he thought he was getting away with it. And then God raises up a man, a prophet, the prophet Nathan, and brings him out to David and tells him of his sin. God won't let his people go astray for long. There will be a time, as I've been saying in the last few weeks, that God will chasten us. If we belong to Christ, he will deal with us. He will lay us low for a season and for a purpose, and he will do that to bring us back to him. And so here he allows Jonah to run, as we've seen in the weeks before. Then he raises up this great fish to swallow Jonah, as Jonah is certain of death. And what happens? God uses these things to remind Jonah that he needs to repent to remind Jonah that God is in control of these things, that it's not him who is doing his own will, but that it is God who has brought about these things for a purpose. When Jonah is laid low in the fish's belly, then he cries to God. I don't know about you, but I need to be laid low many times and afflicted before I cry out to God. I need this because I, just like Jonah, think I can do things my way. Even though I know Christ, even though I know his blood has been shed for me, I still fall into these traps. And then I think, why, Lord, why me? We're so fickle, or I am anyway. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. You see, this is why God has laid Jonah low. This is why he's allowed him to disobey him. This is why he has brought him to this point. Why? Because in the fish's belly, he will be delivered. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the place of the dead, I cried out, and you heard my voice. The second heading, Jonah is saved, or Jonah is delivered from certain death here. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and all your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Here Jonah recounts how God has brought him to this place and how he feels at this moment. You know, we live in a very nice part of the world. We live in a great nation where we are blessed with so many blessings and we constantly take them for granted. 
Let me rephrase that. I constantly take these things for granted. I take for granted that I can hop in my car this morning and I can drive an hour and a half or so and I have the liberty to be here with you and to worship God and to preach his word by his grace. I take that for granted. I just think that next week it's going to be here again. But if the Lord was to intervene and to stop me, I'm sure I would then feel greatly afflicted and I would start to probably whinge. I would not at all be happy about my plans being stopped. But this is exactly why God stops our plans. Because we're so prone to just be caught up in the pace of life, in the speed of our lives, and forget about the reason why we are to live. We can forget in the pace of life whom we are to be living for. We can start to think that it's all about paying our mortgage or that it's all about putting food on the table or that it's all about owning a certain possession. We can start to forget what is really important and God will intervene. Remember that I said last week God is not a watchmaker. He's the God who is both transcendent and imminent and he will intervene if you belong to him and he will stop you from continuing in that way. With me, he has to do this daily because I'm so prone to wander. Once again, we come back to the analogy that Christ gave us of sheep and goats. The sheep need a shepherd. How is it that we have a shepherd today? We have it from the word of the Lord. But how often in church today is the word pushed aside. Now I'm not preaching in anybody here and I'm not saying that is the case here, but I know in the case of my own life that I am prone not to read God's word every day and not to meditate on it as I ought. Don't ever think that the preacher has all the boxes ticked. Don't ever think that the preacher is this holy man and that he has everything figured out. And don't ever elevate the preacher above what he deserves. I've seen this many times and I've had it done to myself and I'm not preaching at anyone when I say this, but well-meaning people come and say, oh, that was a wonderful sermon, oh, you know, and it may well have been. But preachers don't need to be elevated. We can become so full of ourselves and so insulated and isolated from the people that we lose touch with reality and that we can leave the service on the Lord's Day and then we can live like the devil for six days a week and then just fake it. You know, it happens with many men in the pulpits throughout our nation and throughout the world. They've learnt the art of faking religiousness. Their lives are a train wreck, their spiritual state is hopeless, yet they can stand up and be great orators and perform for the people. I want you to understand this morning that I am not one of those people, but I struggle with reading God's word every day and praying as I ought. It's a battle, and I'm sure it's a battle for you too. But we are to be a people who are not destitute of God's word because we're not. We are to be a people who are being fed by God's word daily. Our Bibles are not to be something that is left on a shelf. You should be encouraged this day to pick up your Bible and to read it. I know it's very easy just to get home and just turn on the TV 
It's very simple and it's very easy for us to do that. But let me encourage you this day to turn to God's word because God no longer speaks through prophets. He no longer speaks to people in audible voices. He speaks to people by his word. We must be a people who are in his word and we must be a people who are doing his work. Jonah here, it is revealed in these verses, that he has not only been delivered physically, but he has been delivered spiritually. Remember this, he was a prophet of God, he was a man who knew God, and yet he could know something of God, but not truly know God. He was one who had met in some way, shape or form with God spiritually and physically, and yet he could still try and avoid God's calling upon him. For you, he says in verse 3, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and your billows, your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Imagine what it's like for Jonah being in the belly of that great fish. There's no hope, it would appear, for him. There's no deliverance as he was eaten by the fish. He is now brought low to this point and now there is nothing else to do because the chips are down so far that he must cry out to God. That there is no other deliverer to be found. He cannot save himself. There is no one else who can save him. He must be delivered by God and God alone. I know the view that so many have today in church is that we work with God to save ourselves. But this is the correct view. The correct view is that you cannot save yourself. It is impossible for you to save yourself. It is God who saves. As Jonah cries out, then I said I have been cast out of your sight. Then there is a turning point as he cries out to the Lord. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The depths, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me. Death is imminent for Jonah at this point. And Jonah must cry out to God and in doing so he confesses that God is the only one who can deliver him. God is the one who must deliver him. Things have gotten so bad for Jonah that there is no hope in him saving himself. He can't swim or row against God. Now he has to cry out to God and confess that God has done this to him and that God is the only one who can deliver him through this. Why can this take place? Why can Jonah confess that God has done this? Because God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has quickened him. God has brought him to know that he is in control. This is not the work of a goat. You remember the worldling says, no, I do things my way. I'm in control of this. As the Romans cried out and as the Jews cried out to Christ, 
take this man away, we will not have this man to rule over us. So the goat today, the one out of Christ, says, Christ will not be my Lord, I am my Lord. I will do things my way and according to my will, and no God will tell me what to do. It is God who must intervene in the sinner's life and in the sinner's heart, and God who must quicken that sinner and bring them low to a point where they profess and confess that God is almighty. That God is the one who saves, not themselves. And so here Jonah confesses God's sovereignty. And then he says in verse 6, Yet you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Here is Jonah being saved or delivered. Yes, as we go on, we'll see that he's delivered physically, but he also is delivered here spiritually. We see that here everything has changed. He acknowledges that God has brought him to this point. He acknowledges that his life is in the hands of God, and he acknowledges that God is the one who is his deliverer. This is the case with all who have been quickened by the Spirit. It will happen at some point that they acknowledge that it is God who has been directing them their whole lives, that it is God who has brought them to a very point where he's revealed his son. I remember inviting a friend of mine along to a church service and he listened to the preaching of the word and he said, wow, if I had have heard preaching like that, I would have been saved years ago. And I said, no, you wouldn't. No, he wouldn't have. He would have been saved at the exact moment that God wanted him saved. Not a moment before and not a moment after. I heard one man say, I'll get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. Rubbish. What he's saying there is that he's not sure that he is good enough. I would say that that's the first step in acknowledging your sinful nature, but he hasn't realised that nobody is getting into heaven by the skin of their teeth, that nobody is just clawing their way into heaven by a small margin, because nobody will be in heaven by their own works. I can say as a Christian before you today, I will be in heaven based upon the works of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by the skin of my teeth or by any small margin, but by his grace I will be there by the shedding of his righteous perfect blood, not by chance or by accident. I couldn't have missed the boat, so to speak. Jonah that day, as he fled from the Lord and from his calling, could not have missed the boat going to Tarshish. And if you are here today and you are saved by his grace, it was absolutely impossible that you would not be saved. It was predestined by a holy, sovereign God, and he would not fail. Here he would not fail Jonah, and Jonah confesses this. You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Now I'm sure... For those of us who are saved, you can relate to Jonah here. 
You can relate to a time in your life when the Lord has laid you low and a time when he has brought to your remembrance his gracious dealing with you. And sometimes this is a very painful thing for the Christian. Sometimes it's a painful thing to have the chastening of the Lord upon us. But what a wonderful thing when the Lord does come upon us in this way. When the Lord does bring to our remembrance his gracious dealings with us. When he does bring to our remembrance his word. I remembered the Lord and my prayer, verse 7, went up to you in your holy temple. Remember the mindset of the Israelites at this time was the place where God dwelt was the temple. Remember this was a place where the Lord's glory filled the temple, where the tabernacle was, the tabernacle of meeting, where all of the things that God had commanded were, and this was the place where the Israelites met with God. Don't think that Jonah was foolish and that he didn't understand that God was omnipresent and that God was sovereign. No, he confesses God's sovereignty. But here he's reminded by looking to Jerusalem that this is a place where God has declared his presence to be. That he was a true Israelite, saved by the grace of God, and that God heard his prayer. That out of the great fish's belly, God heard Jonah's cry for deliverance. And that God delivered him. Then he says in verse 8, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy or their own kindness. But I, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Another confession after Jonah is saved of whom the one who has saved him is. Whom has done this wonderful thing? It is God. Remember a few weeks ago I spoke of that thing, this uh, writing of footprints in the sand that so many people have, of a person walking beside God and then all of a sudden there's only one set of footprints and the person asked God, where were you when there was only one set of footprints? And he said, well, that's when I was carrying you. And I said that it was rubbish and I stand by that. It's very, it sounds very lovely. But again, it's you working with God. Now here the prophet Jonah tells us salvation is of the Lord. From start to finish, every part of his salvation was of God. Not him working with God in any way, shape or form, but God alone saving him. This isn't popular today. It won't have you invited to churches constantly to preach these things. It will have you turned away. I'm glad that you've invited me back. Thank you. But I confess with Jonah that salvation is of the Lord. From start to finish, the scriptures declare that God is the one who saves. Not you and me, not the preacher, not the well-meaning person who asked you to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart that has no scriptural merit whatsoever. No, not that person. God. Salvation is of the Lord, declares the prophet Jonah. And how much more should we hear today? 
We're not to be looking to ourselves. We're not to be looking to the preacher. We're not to be looking to the person who may the Lord may have used to lead us to Christ. We're to be looking to God. We're to be praising God for his salvation, for saving us. This is what Jonah is recounting here. No longer is he introverted and looking toward himself and saying, I'll do things my way. He's saying, Lord, you are the one who has delivered me. You have delivered me from the great fish's belly of certain death and that salvation is in your sovereign hands, not in mine. It wasn't anything I did. No, it was in the Lord. It was with the Lord. It was him alone who saved me. No one else. I'm not sure how many times I've heard people say, so-and-so led me to Christ. No. The Holy Spirit led me to Christ. The Holy Spirit, through his word, revealed Christ to me. I hear this constantly in sermons that I listen to, whether they be on the radio or on the internet, except Jesus. I don't see that in Scripture. It sounds very polite and very endearing and very loving and kind, except Jesus now. But it's not scriptural. Jesus says, no, 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 I will accept you or not. It's not about you accepting him. You can do all the accepting you like of Jesus. It's whether he has accepted you into his kingdom. Jonah professes and declares here that salvation is of the Lord and we must do the same as Christians. Not accept what the Lord Jesus has done. You don't get a part in that. It's whether he has accepted you into his kingdom. It's whether he has accepted you and your sins and forgiven them. It's not accept the Lord Jesus and go to heaven. It is repent and believe the gospel. It is follow after the Lord Jesus. That is what we are learning in Jonah. That is my application today. If you love me, the Lord Jesus said, you will do my commandments. You will follow my commandments. And my commandments, he said, are not burdensome. So many today have tore out the Old Testament from their Bible and have said, well, this Christian saying, the commandments are fulfilled in Christ, that's all there is to it. But the Lord Jesus tells us that we are to follow after him and to keep his commandments. So many Christians today say, no, that was for the Jews, it's not for us. I'm not preaching salvation by keeping the commandments. What I am preaching is to you who are saved today and to myself that the way that we follow after Christ is by keeping the commandments. Christ is all in all and he is the word made flesh. And so therefore we are to keep the commandments and do the commandments. Not in some vain hope to work out our own salvation and to climb a mythical ladder and earn our way into heaven. But why? To glorify God. That is what we are to do as Christians. We're not to be hiding from difficulties, although it's very difficult to do that. We are to follow hard after Christ. Remember I said a few weeks ago that we're not to put our hand to the plough and then look back and see the enticements of the world. No, we're to profess Christ 
as our Saviour and the only way of salvation. And we're to live this daily. He tells us to take up our cross and follow after him. And these things will cost us. But he says that those who are seeking ultimately to uphold their lives are doing so in vain. That there is no purpose in us trying to uphold our lives if we're leading ourselves to hell. We are to say, no, Lord, you are my all in all. I will follow after you regardless of the trials, regardless of the difficulties that I face, regardless of what people may think of me, I'm to follow after you. So we see here that Jonah must be brought to this very point, must be laid low and then must be delivered so that he may do what God wants him to do. And don't think that God has changed from his dealings with his people today. He deals with people in exactly the same way. Sure, your circumstances may not be as extraordinary as Jonah's. They may not not be fit as a Hollywood movie, but it doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, he is working on you. If you are in him, he is constantly delivering you until that great day when it shall all be finalised. And for you who are not in Christ, for you who are a goat here this morning, you have no deliverer. You are just doing things your own way. You may think that you lead a nice, holy, a nice, polite life. But let me tell you that your nice, holy and polite life is leading you swiftly to hell and the judgment of the living God. You will not avoid it. Just as Jonah could not avoid being thrown into the ocean and being swallowed by that great fish, you will not avoid the judgment of God. I know that many of you are saying he's just repeating the same things that he said in other sermons. I am. Not because your pastors put me up to preaching against anyone, but because I know what it was like before I was saved, and I know even what it's like to be on the other side of that, to be saved, and how quickly we are to forget these things. If you are doing things your way, you are working your way swiftly to hell. Let me state again that only those who are saved get lost. Jesus said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's past tense. God has already done this. He's already determined when you will be lost. He's already determined when you will be saved. If you have never been lost and you have never been saved, you are doing things your way and you are leading yourself to hell. God, by his grace interceded with Jonah and God by his grace intercedes this day with his people. If God wills to save you, you will be saved. If God has saved you, praise him. May it be that you cry out to God in the same way and declare that salvation is of the Lord. You know, the Westminster Divines so long ago in the 17th century in England, they wrote a book called The Shorter Catechism. And the first question of that catechism is very simple. It's one of the only ones I remember. And that is, what is man's chief end 
The question, what is man's ultimate purpose in life? And the answer that was to come back from the child, this was penned for children to learn, the answer was this. Man's chief end or man's ultimate purpose is to enjoy God forever by glorifying him. That is to glorify God and to enjoy him eternally. Oh, Christian, this is how you are to live. You are to glorify God with every part of your being, every moment of the day, and when you cannot, you are to repent. And then you are to come back and be as Jonah was. You are to come back and you will say, Lord, you have delivered me again from sure death and hell, and salvation is of you. And you are to glorify him and him alone. As I said last week, don't look to the world for your joy. Don't look to the world for the things that they run after. Look to Christ. Jonah could declare that he could look upon God in his holy temple and we are to declare that we can look upon Christ in his word. That we no longer have to assemble into a certain building to find God as the scriptures declare, but we can see him revealed in his word and that we are to do so daily. Let us die to ourselves daily, brethren. Let us come to God's word and say, Lord, feed me again. Refresh me anew this day. Encourage my heart because it is downtrodden or downcast. And may I live for you. And for you who know nothing about what I'm talking about, repent and believe the gospel. Don't believe what any preacher or any well-meaning person tells you that you must accept the Lord Jesus. I say to you, he must accept you. And the only commandment that comes from Scripture according to his word is repent and believe. You must do this. Your salvation can only be found in the Lord and not in yourself. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that so long ago you delivered your prophet Jonah out of the great fish's belly, that you revealed to him your will and your word, and we thank you that it is before us that we have heard from it, and that in Jonah we can see so much of ourselves, that in Jonah we can see our condition, but that in Jonah we can see your gracious dealing with us and with him. Father, we pray that we would not take this for granted, that we would be a people who would be greatly encouraged by your word, that we would be a people who do your will. Help us not to be a people who just merely go through motions week in, week out, but help us to be a people who live your word. Oh, Heavenly Father, the preacher acknowledges this morning that so often he has repeated the same things. Forgive him, but encourage him and the listener to do the Lord's will, to do as your word declares, and to declare that salvation is of you and you alone. Forgive us, we pray, for the times when we have not done these things. Forgive us for the times when we have gone astray. We praise you that you lead your people in paths of righteousness 
and that you chasten them by your gracious hand and by your gracious dealing. And we do pray that as we leave this place this day, that we would be bold in the truth of the glorious gospel and that we would live as sons and daughters of the King of heaven and of earth. And we ask this in his precious and holy name and for his glory alone. Amen.